welcome to UX Panther season 3 where i dushyant kanungo talk to the leaders in the design field about their journey and what inspires them to be the best i also touch upon the aspects of the industry such as jobs trends and challenges to name a few this podcast is presented by galaxy ux studio and powered by galaxy weblinks an inc 5000 company Hello everyone this is Dushyant Karungo your host for the UX Panther podcast the guest on today's episode designing is his passion he helps brand create value from the space between the present and what's possible his agency free association leads his clients through complex product design and innovation challenges he specializes in the quantities of innovation brand strategy team leadership not stop prototyping storytelling ux and ui evolution please welcome our guest the founding partner at free association mr david landa thank you excited to be here and we were we are excited to have you here i think uh, there are few people when you start conversing with them you realize that there is so many layers to the path or the journey that they have taken and while we were discussing earlier i realized that there is a whole new dimension to the way things actually work out in in your world is something we would definitely like to explore more so i hope that you are ex- as excited as we are always yes very much so <laughs> so if i got it right that you started your journey from new york and now you are based out of bay area so how the journey has been like how you uh, came into the profession and what made you what you're doing today yeah i mean i think like a lot of you xers especially coming from my generation it has been a windy road um certainly didn't start um in ux or even design um you know when i started my career ux wasn't really a term but you know going back to when i was in um university um i actually started in environmental science um but i didn't i i struggled with focusing on anything i was just very curious about the world and so many topics and science you know especially environmental science was such a singular focus didn't speak to me i moved to general studies um but that was too directionless and i ended up in film and okay. film was i found really kind of my place in so much as the study of film was so multidisciplinary that um it was it was really there was something it, it was speaking to me um i was studying psychology i was studying how to produce stuff making stuff you know i really i felt like this was the place i belonged um but it wasn't actually filmmaking itself i think that i fell in love with i think it was um being multi multidisciplinary being um philosophical at times um you know the psychology side of it and then making stuff i just love making stuff um so then when i left school i was very confused and afraid to be perfectly honest i said where what is a guy like me supposed to do um and the web was just starting to take off I was not, you know, one of the early hackers on the web. Um it was still kind of new to me at that point, but I saw the opportunity. I saw that it could also be, you know, it could be a place where I could continue this sort of generalist study um and bring all these disciplines together into one singular discipline. So I read a bunch of books on web design. Came a web designer, you know. I think my first <laughs> 
<laughs> like we all job. did back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My first actual role was webmaster. Um, <laughs> hilarious to hear. Um, and I, you know, got just started getting my foot in the industry and learn. I, I learned through making stuff. You know, it's always really been the way. Um, just putting myself into new environments, new challenges, and trying to figure it out. And through that ongoing process and having, you know, the great um, luck and, and benefit of having um, a great um, uh, two roommates who were both in design as well at that time in New York, um, you know, one who was focusing more on branding and um, and more the aesthetic and style, you know, style side of design, another one who was actually an illustrator. Um, together, we started to um, uh, discover what sort of this this modern um, interactive design was. Mm -hmm. um, we got hired by an agency as their emerging media department. Mm -hmm. And in that experience, so then we were started getting into flash animation and doing like really early um, advertisement um, kind of stuff. You know, flash was, was huge then. Those were the um, days. Yeah, we were doing full like cell animation and flash for like Pepsi and Britney Spears at that time. We thought it was so cool. We did um, yeah. Keith Richards' first website, which was super memorable. Um, at first, you know, his manager wanted, he's like, what do I need a website? And then um, he's like, to catch flies. I think that was his line. And then in the end, he loved it. He, um, we helped him connect with his fans and have conversation with them in a safe manner. And he was just all about it. But going through that process, you know, I started to learn what it was about design that we loved, you know, and, and how to sort of follow that path um, and started to move up from, you know, doing websites and, and, and sort of advertisement and advertising, moving into branding, um, starting to get into UX. That's when UX started trending as like a real thing. Um, you know, we were doing a lot of work with Viacom at that time with MTV um, and, they had a lot of really like wild ideas about what they could do with the site to get attention. And a lot of them were really kind of like um, really counter to like UX tenants. Um, and we didn't know why yet. We just knew it was wrong. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. something's very wrong about this. Um, and then we started to learn, oh, you're violating the, the user experience, right? Like user expectation is not that, you know, um, the jackass crew is going to break through your screen when you go to the site, they they came there to use your site, right? So um, through those sort of experiences, we started to kind of see like where our position was. Um, you know, not long after that, we, um, we started our own company, um, you know, leveraging sort of all the learnings and reputation we had built with the agency. We built our first company um, and, focus mostly on marketing and communications at that point. And then we realized that, you know, product, digital product is really the place for us. That was where all of our interest and in, in, in experience and, and you know, the discipline that we have been developing and that we love were, were going to come together. And so, you know, Free Association was, was built around um, digital product design. And that was sort of like a, a big milestone moment in, in our design career where, um, yeah, we kind of, that was the, the platform for where we are today. So what, why the name pre-association? Um, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. So free association, you know, quite literally means it's, it's a, um, a process in uh, depth psychology 
you know, freely associating, I think it's from either Jung or Freud uh, coined it, where you literally just say whatever's on your mind, or, or maybe the psychologist says a word, and then you say whatever comes next. And it's a way to probe into the subconscious. Mm -hmm. um, so I always love that. Like, I, I am very curious about the subconscious and, you know, the depth of, of our mind. That said, that's not exactly where it came from. Um, the name free association also is a legal term for a uh, association of people or groups that come together freely, right? Um, we come together to explore territory or to meet some challenge. And it's not like, it, it's a legal term for a loose association of groups. The reason though, we, we are, our free association is a little bit different. Um, it, um, we kind of, it's a feeling, right? It's a feeling about that we have about the future and the way that people are going to come together and create things in this future, which is happening now. Um, both that people will associate freely that, you know, we'll have choice and we'll come together knowing that we have a certain challenge in front of us and we have different talents and centers of gravity. And when we come together, we'll figure out, we figure out you know, the roles, we'll figure out how to get it done, how to play with each other well. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a, a free association in that sense. Um, and then the other side of it is just the, 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 the feeling of freedom. I think it's what we all strive for. I think that's where we hope the, the, the planet is going or humanity is going towards more sure. freedom, more openness, more vibrancy. And it that's really captures- The internet the was supposed to be about, right? The internet was supposed to be that. And now this is our turn to actually ensure that the freedom of the internet and the people's voices remain intact. Yeah, exactly. Collaboration. So um, while on the one hand, end of the spectrum, you started your organization um, and, and now you have been working with bigger clients such as Waze, which is again, a breakthrough application. I mean, when it came out, it was a, a revolution because all the data was aggregated from people's pockets as in that they were reporting that how the traffic is going to go about. It has a different experience from Google Maps or TomToms or anything which is coming out of Apple Maps. And it's still holding its foot without the backing of the big name or default app setting. Um, and on the other end, you also have Toyota, which is known for innovation, changing things, challenging things, making sure the quality is there, making sure every time a problem comes, they celebrate it because they found a new bug and now they have to solve uh, for that particular X. So how was your experience working with these two organizations or companies? I mean, it's always exciting and just um, uh, it's such an honor to work with these organizations and brands that I have so much respect for. And the ones that break the bounds and, and are truly, you know, really themselves. And I think that's the similarity between them. They um, know what they stand for. They, they know what their mission is in the world. And I think that makes it so much easier to innovate for them. You know, innovation is like a big open canvas, right? Like, you know, innovation, anything can, anything can happen and explore anything in a, in a way, right? But when you know the sort of beating heart of an organization, um, it starts to become a beacon and make sense of why you do this and not that. Why is this um, a better fit for the organization, but this doesn't seem to quite fit. And I think it's, you know, it helps, it certainly helps us um, be more creative, um, understanding the personality and the culture and 
the mission of that that brand. Um, and you know, it's more exciting when when they when they see when they're when they have that personality and they have that you know that um, spirit. You, you know, it just unlocks your greatest potential. Absolutely. And I remember that you were talking about the, the smart city project of Toyota that you were associated with. What sort of work, I mean, Toyota is doing in that direction? And if you are at liberty to discuss or, you know, tell us more about it, that would be really exciting. Yeah, I'll tell you what I can tell you. Um, so, you know, Toyota is uh, adapting and evolving to a changing landscape. Um, in On one hand, you know, people's relationships with their vehicles is, is not what it used to be. I mean, we used to name our cars, right? Um, and now a car is sort of like, um, it's a tool. Um, you know, our relationship isn't what it was. A lot more people are ride sharing, leasing cars. You know, you don't think of it as like this, you know, another member of the family, right? Um, and on top of that, you know, with autonomous vehicles and just keeping up with the Teslas, there's a lot of challenges there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Toyota aptly understands that they have to adapt to this and that they need to widen the aperture of their value proposition. Um, and so it, their, their answer to that is to become a mobility company in the broadest sense of what mobility can mean. So whether that's, you know, moving around the globe, moving through a city, uh, moving through, you know, last mile mobility, um, mm -hmm. scooters, bikes, or even telepresence moving, you know, virtually. Um, all of that is within the, the new definition of mobility. And the other part that's really exciting about Toyota is they think of mobility as movement, as in moving hearts and minds, right? So that's always been a fun part of Toyota. Um, the Woven City is a uh, living laboratory that they're building on the foothills of Mount Fuji. Um, with the purpose of accelerating uh, automated technologies and, and technologies connected to this idea of being a mobility company. Um, right. By having people live, work, and play in the city, um, they can actually you know, test uh, these different technologies out in a very connected way, in a, like a citywide way, and uh -huh. evaluate different value propositions, look at it holistically as a system, um, and that's you know basically what the what the vision is. So you are actually testing out new digital solutions in a smart city, which is a controlled environment. And uh, so these are just the prototypes which are being created. So all the user experience that has to be done right there and then it can be fixed and tweaked before it actually is handed out to market. Exactly, it's like continuous improvement at a you know city level is the vision. Um, no, I, you know, they're just breaking ground. They broke ground maybe a year ago. The city's still in development. You know, nobody lives there yet. Um, uh -huh. I got involved at a very early stage, like right after the conception, right after Akio Toyoda, the president announced it at CES. Um, I, my company was, um, was contracted to help uncover sort of the UX of the city so to speak. Um, and so, you know, one of uh, the president's uh, missives was to be a human-centered living laboratory at its core. And it's very, very easy to become technology-centered and great technology for the sake of like, in, you know, innovating technology, automate everything. But, but that's not where his heart's at. Um, his heart is about creating feeling of fulfillment 
-hmm. and happiness for people. So he had it had to be a people-centered um, experiment, if you will. And the first thing I need I did with Woven City was help cultivate a vision for what does that look like. So we did actually a North Star project to find what this city could look like in five years and what life will be like in the city at its best. And from that, we could start to extract experience principles and um, you know the and start to say the the kind of experience that we're we're trying to create and understand that technology is really in service of people. It's not mm -hmm. people in service of technology. Oh, one thing which that comes to mind is there that you specialize in creating that North Star prototypes for various products and services. What do you think that it takes to um, create a North Star vision, which is very far ahead in the future? Because I can understand that in, in Japan, they write strategies um, for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whereas a startup would say that what they need to do in the next couple of months. But in, in the very end, everybody has that North Star vision. So how do you differentiate between uh, working for a bigger organization's prototyping or North Star vision versus any North Star development for any startup? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, picking a horizon is definitely important, knowing what you're shooting for, how far out. I mean, the, the reason you do North Star um, vision at all is to set the idea or the concept for where you're trying to go for, right? The moonshot. And you know that like, you, you, you know, you're not going to hit the moonshot per se, but by setting a direction, you set a better point B um, that then you have a, you know, you have, you start your roadmap and you start your journey towards it. And the journey will uncover what's working, not working, and you will end up where you end up. Right. But you, you right. have to go for something. You have to know you're going for something. So, you know, first off is just knowing that horizon. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very, you know, that's a really important consideration of how far out, you know, the further out you have to consider a whole new swath of technologies and, and innovation that'll happen. Um, and, you know, so societal changes because, you know, society has to be ready for innovations for them to sort of take off or people to uh, adopt them. Uh, culturally, it has to, it has to make sense. So you have, you know, the further out you go, the more complicated it is in terms of figuring out like where you think the world is going, where, what are the new forces at play? Um, so what importance do you think, or if, if you have to speak with a startup uh, owner or some entrepreneur, young one who is just starting out, that what sort of importance they should be paying to the UX for designing the North Star and uh, you know, finding the right partner, preparing for you know their go-to-market strategy. How important it becomes that they are ready with a North Star prototype before the, they you know take any um, serious footing. I think it's very important. Um, I think you know everything in design is is a hypothesis in a way, and a North Star is a hypothesis about where we think we want to be. Right. So without a hypothesis, you're not acting scientifically. You're acting you know, intuitively, right? Um, and I think we could talk about intuition. I think it's a really, really big role to play for intuition. Mm -hmm. um, but intuition needs to be turned into hypothesis in order to like test and, and, and find a path forward. So that's kind of what North Star does. It, it, it takes intuition um, and builds it into a vision that can then be, you know, made into a roadmap and tested piece by piece. Now, the other thing that North Stars do is they create a tangible 
um, visual artifact of, of what this thing could be. And that's exciting. And excitement is equally as important um, in terms of motivating teams, in terms of sure. unlocking investment. Um, you know, critically important. You can have a deck and it's like, you know, here's the opportunity, here's, you know, the competitive landscape. But like the thing that makes people excited and lean forward is seeing it. And feeling it. And the prototype actually does that. All right. That's that's brilliant advice. And um, I concur and 100% agree with that. Now, with that thought, I have to break a conversation into the fun round, which is um, that we call uh, rapid fire. So are you ready for the questions? This is the part that makes me nervous. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Uh, all right. So what is your favorite thing to do in summertime? Surf. Surf. Surfing. Yeah. Okay. And what dish do you cook the best? <laughs> um, hmm. I wish I had a better answer than pancakes, but I have to be honest. Probably pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And which one is your favorite board game? Oh, no. Oh, man. Um, hmm. That is a good question. My favorite board game. I mean, the most generic answer comes to mind, Monopoly. But that's probably the one I play the most with my family. Um, uh -huh. Does Scrabble count as a board game? Scrabble, yes, absolutely it does. <laughs> I'm going to say Scrabble. All right. So are there any hidden talents that you have that we that nobody knows or maybe a limited few close friends are aware about? Hmm, hidden talents. Um, um, I used to be a visual artist. And... Um, then move more into music. So I play um, a lot of music, play guitar. I'm trying to learn to play jazz guitar, but um, uh, I hold myself to a high standard and I'm just not there yet. <laughs> so are you a very organized person or you are very things come as they come person? I'm a hybrid. I think it depends. Um, I value chaos and a brilliant mess sometimes but I also know that sometimes you have to be organized um and so I think it's like it's like depends on what it is and where I am in the process I think make a mess at first and then organize once you start to see like the patterns emerge <laughs> books or movies Oof. um I'll have to say books but that's a tough one okay and your favorite movie then my favorite movie is probably Fellini's Eight and a Half. Fellini's Eight and a Half. Yeah. Okay, I should definitely check that out. I never, you know, I'm I'm not aware about that film. And about oh, your favorite book? You know, really with books, it's whatever I'm reading at that time. If it's grabbing me, right now I'm reading um, uh, Haruki Murakami, um, first person singular, and I'm really really enjoying it. Okay. And would you, do you eat uh, at home mostly or do you like to go to a restaurant? I eat at home mostly. Yes. Um, and when I lived in New York, I went to restaurants a lot. And then since <laughs> I moved to the West coast, I eat at home a lot and I'm actually enjoying it. Um, you know, I found restaurants now that I eat at home so much. The restaurants are very salty. I never realized that before. <laughs> and your guilty pleasure oh my guilty pleasure um 
I guess like skiing by myself. Um, hmm. I like skiing and I like to ski what I like to ski and I don't like to compromise too much on it. So yeah, that's probably <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and any nicknames that you ever had in, in your uh, colleges or at young, young life? Yeah, in high school, they called me Lizard. Oh, and why is that? I don't know. Landa became <laughs> Lizard. <laughs> it just came and it stuck. Yeah. Yeah, like it happens with most of us. But let's not get there. Uh, moving on. I mean, that was a fun section and you answered almost everything truthfully, I guess. I believe you that everything you said was on point. <laughs> So this is this is where the college life and the school life part. I need to you know go back to you were talking about the psychology the that you uh, studied as your major. Um, so psychology certainly helps with everybody who is coming to practice UX. Or if they were around technology, anybody who has studied uh, psychology and if they get anywhere close to um, tech, they always tend to move to UX because they they actually find the connection, the human side of it. And they feel that here is something they can do, which uh, they have accumulated in knowledge during their educational years. And coming back to the other side of uh, the, the variable that we are talking about, the North Star prototyping, how does psychology play a role in defining the initial uh, product or prototype that you're working on? Um, yeah, I mean, I use psychology in so many different ways. Um, I mean, for one, um, I, I really am very uh, find like uh, the Jungian archetypes and and like you know Joseph Campbell, uh, hero with a, a thousand faces. Um, that thinking is very useful. Um, I, I found that like you know um, Jung discovered that we sort of uh, organize our thoughts in archetypes um, more or less. Whether that's we don't know if that's inherited or that's just you know sort of uh, a strange oddity of humanity, but like we have these, you know, um, certain images of how, of who we are, you know, other characters, and they tend to fall in these like specific, you know, buckets or definitions. And um, so for one, I think that like, I, I try to understand a brand and a company through an archetype. Um, there is a like discipline called archetypal branding, which is used more in marketing and branding um, I tend to actually bring it over into product design um, and um, try to understand the story of a brand, right? Like, so for example, you know, um, there's like a ruler brand, right? I'm number one. Um, we are emphatically the best and you'd be silly to work with anyone else as a certain posture you could take on. Or, um, you know, the, um, the Maverick or Outlaw brand, we do things differently. We're changing the rules. We don't follow, you know, the rules. Um, and understanding the sort of like spirit of, of an entity um, allows you to sort of start to create the story of it as it moves forward in the world, as it, as it you know, um, realizes its value proposition and carries on conversations with users. Um, you know, knowing who they are at that core, it, it brings to light sort of like how you talk, how you speak, how you interact. Is it very performant? Is it sort of an emphatic, you know, way of performing in terms of like um or is it is it you know a caregiver caregiver and it's sort of like um teaching you and helping you at every step uh you know a caregiver would would 
support you at every 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 moment, you know. Um, or like let's say a sage brand, which which I would say free association is, it's all about teaching you and it's about knowledge and wisdom. So the way you actually interact and the things that you pursue are very much tied to this archetype. So this is where your narrative-led um, design techniques actually come into play, if, I, if I'm not wrong. No, that's so right. Yeah. We, we, we were talking about intuition. Um, you just said that the intuition and how we are actually going to compare it with relevance. So intuition versus relevance, how does that play and fit into the bigger picture? Yeah, so um, I am a big fan of human intuition. I mean, it's gotten to where we are uh, today for the most part, right? Like um, scientific reasoning and the scientific method, you know, was pretty late stage in the sort of history of humanity. So listen, we got to listen to our guts and, and you know, we got to appreciate what our intuition's telling us. But intuition could be wrong and, and bias is a real thing. You know, um, we have bias because it gets a shortcut to drawing a conclusion and making a quick decision, right? right. Um, it, you know, it's, 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 uh, was probably a really strong survival technique up to this point. So now that's where it gets, you know, tricky is like, when do you follow your intuition and when do you, um, test and sort of make sure that you're not, um, sort of drinking your own Kool-Aid, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, my own feeling is give intuition quite a bit of room, right? Like, like explore your ideas, believe in your ideas for a little bit, right? Like just give mm -hmm. them oxygen and let them go. Even bad ideas, good ideas, whatever, um, you know, get it out there and see where they take you. Um, and then um, the time to sort of bring in user validation and testing is when you've taken your intuition to, to a point and you're like, I, starting to believe in this, right? Or I have an array of ideas, right? There's five ideas and I, each one could be a real possible future for this entity. Um, but now I've taken it as far as I should. Now it's time to bring in users. Now it's time to bring in third-party sure. opinions. And that is where the validation and the relevance actually comes in. So you design up to a point and then you have to, you know, make sure that it is, it is actually functioning the way it was uh, supposed to be. Um, so this is uh, where when we're talking about the intuition and one step before if we are going to the narrative led um, design techniques, that is where the product design and the, the brand personality uh, aspects of engagement do walk in. How do you, you know, connect the entire narrative from um, narrative led designs to intuition to brand personality and then product design? Yeah, no, it's a good questions. Um, we. I, I would say, I think of a project, they break it down into mindsets. So mm -hmm. when we are, you know, maybe talking to a, a client partner in early stages, you know, we're typically like, hey, we do discovery, then we do um, strategic foundations, and then we move into divergent design, converge, right, typically, um, and then, you know, uh, detailed design. Um, but and that's easy to wrap your head around, but I think the real thing that's happening is it's a mindset. In discovery, you're open-minded. You're learning as much as you possibly can to become aligned with this entity. You know, we talk about us becoming thought partners. If I'm going to design for you, I have to understand your Art partners. challenges. Yeah, thought partners, right? Like, 
yeah, I need to be a part of your company if I'm going to help you grow. I need to know what's blocking growth. I need to know what you know the beating heart of that brand is. I need to know the culture, right? So discovery is a mindset of, of soaking in as much knowledge as you can about this entity and not jumping to conclusions, which is hard. But at that point, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to uh, start drawing, you know, lines between dots. You just want to learn. Um, during strategic foundations is actually where you start to make sense of it all. You say some things matter, some things don't matter. I learned a lot, but not everything is going to be helpful in, in this project. Um, so there you're really, it's a distillation, right? It's, it's narrowing down to the things that actually matter. Um, and kind of rethinking the project brief. Like we came in, you said we wanted, um, you know, X, right? We want, um, we're gonna launch this new feature because we believe that. And through discovery, actually I learned that was, you, you know, you didn't diagnose the problem exactly correctly, right? It's really a, a um, uh, you know, it's a growth problem in this way. You know, maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's churn or, you know, it's like a, a traction problem. Um, and, you know, we understand hopefully then the true nature of the problem we're trying to solve. And then divergence is really about like the mindset of to find one good idea, you have to explore hundreds, right? And it's, right. it's all mindset. All right. So with, with, with all that um, happening in the product design field, we are all talking about the generative AI side of things also playing a bigger role. And that is where the, you know, when we are actually putting it together with the permission set. So see, when you are saying that we are talking about intuition versus relevance, we just talked about that the product design and the brand personality. Now, a lot of um, the content which is being generated for branding exercises and uh, you know the go-to-market strategies, a lot of it is being generated through generative AI. It's yeah. not just about the logo and design, but you can simply generate an entire business plan uh, through ChatGPT. And the human touch is not there. And when you talk about the permission set, they define their own and they just tell you that this is the plan that you have to follow. And I'm sure that somebody in the next month is definitely going to launch a startup of which every decision is was was taken by. Uh, it's already yeah. happened. <laughs> it, it, yeah. No, for sure. That's happening now. And, and you know, it may be even closer to me than I care to admit. But uh, I love this question. I mean, generative AI is the probably most powerful disruptive tool of our generation, if not of all of humanity. It's not just generative AI, it's, you know, AI in general. And um, it's, you know, it's almost like everything we've done has led up to this point in some way, shape or form. Um, that said, generative AI to, to this day, it still cannot be original, right? It's, it's not a human and the human originality um, is still unique to us. Um, you know, it's a mimic of, of, of humans. So I could say um, ChatGPT, you know, right um, uh, in the style of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Hirakami or Stephen King, right? Um, or, or anything such. And it'll, you know, it has the entire internet of, of information to draw on and it can do it successfully, but it could never be, you know, the next original or at least not yet. Right. So um, I think that, you know, <laughs> I think originality is still there. And, and so, so, you know, I, I believe, I believe in brand still, I believe that, um, you know, humans crave meaning and they crave 
they, we, we want to believe in things and we look for signals to help us know what to believe in. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where I think, you, you know, generative AI is great at um, sketching business plans and giving you a roadmap to do things and telling you where to research. Um, but I still think humans need to make sense of it and humans need to put spirit into it. So one of the things that I'm noticing in the trends is that a lot of people, when they are dealing with uh, small businesses or startups online, everybody is talking about that we are using AI, a very powerful engine, which does this and that. And then there is another segment of users um, who are now jumping the boat to the, how do you call it? Uh, the hipster line of things here, which says that yeah. we don't want to do anything with AI. Can you just please get the humans back? I don't want a decision which is made by algorithm based on some data, but I really would like to know what are the insights about this product are by the individual that I'm buying it from. So uh, what do you what do you think about that entire anti-establishment, anti-AI uh, voices that we are hearing these days? Yeah, no, it reminds me of Isaac Asimov's writing. Um, who, by the way, predicted this moment, what, within the 50s? Um, and, and so, you know, Isaac Asimov, I think as far as writers go, he's not my favorite writer stylistically, but he was, I feel like a philosopher and a visionary. Yeah, and I mean, I'm watching his books play out in real time. And, yeah. and so I think that like, there's going to be sort of this divide between nativists, those who reject the technology and maybe like, I don't even know what to call them yet, but like technologists. Futurists. Yeah, futurists who who embrace it. Um, and I think that's just, this is the start of that. And uh, I don't want to say pick a lane, but like, it's going to kind of be like that. And honestly, I don't know what lane I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm, I am really interested in the phenomenon of this moment, right? From like, if you step out of your body for a minute, you know, and step out of like, the direct experience that we're having, right? The threats and the opportunities and all that. The phenomenon is incredible, right? Um, it, is. it is, and we are at the right moment. We are at, we have the front seat to the 21st century and 22nd century and the, what the things to come is very clear here. I think it is all going to be about the IoT where you have the AI to make the decisions and cause, but as long as your software is interacting with a human, the need for human interaction, need for human decision-making is involved, no amount of AI can actually um, win over the argument. But that's where I, I think we are. So with that, I mean, when you said that we are uh, at a juncture where we have to pick sides and we have to decide that, in, in, that where we should be uh, standing in this future or days to come, what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting out as their career in, say, on the psychology side of things or design side of things? And uh, what are the things that they should be um, prepared for uh, from, from this yeah. point? And just to clarify, I don't think that you have to pick a side, honestly. Um, I don't think life is that black and white. I just think that because humans tend to want to think of things in a binary way, like... Um, we will find ourselves leaning in one direction or another. It's just natural. Um, yeah. But I, I don't want to say pick a side because I actually think um, life is gray. You know, there's a lot more, a lot more of life is in the gray middle. Um, but yeah, to, to people just starting their design career, um, 
I mean, for one, when it comes to generative AI and the new tools, definitely be aware of them, use them. You know, um, I read a great quote that said, um, no, AI is not going to take your job, but the person who knows how to work with AI it will. <laughs> and I, I think that's true. Um, I think that like just in general, though, you know, good advice, no matter what stage of you know technology we're in is um is 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 just make stuff and do it do stuff that brings value to the world and know that it'll come back you know x-fold just you know whether it's like i believe the world would be better if this product existed so i'm going to build a provocation just this is what it could look like um whether it's just meeting people and in those conversations being honest and providing value the conversation right don't be a taker be a giver um those things really i mean i think that like they compound exponentially the more you're getting out there giving producing um those things have a life of their own they attract more people into your into your world um and that just grows and grows and grows so just get on that journey grow your network um be a part of the community um and it's hard, man. You know, um, a lot of us are, um, you know, um, uh, you know. I, I'm excited but with this conversation. That we started on, they don't even exist yet. You you won't find a position open for a webmaster or a flash designer or a yeah, micromedia right. developer or action script programmer. Those are the days. I mean, those were those are gone, and those careers, those tools. Uh, people who are working on the, you know, on, on that segment is completely different landscape, yeah. right? From the designations to the tool set. And the only thing which is still here are people. And you're designing for people. Then we are designing for people now. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who who um, who, who hires talent, um, I could say that, like, you know, you know, try to go to the best school you can with the best education. That's always good. But quite okay. honestly, it's not what I would look at. If you were applying to a job at Free Association, I really care about what you've done, even if it wasn't for actually a big brand or any brand, right? Maybe it's just you made it up. But the quality of the work and the quality of the thinking is what I am looking for. So um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter kind of where where you've been per se. It just matters how you, um, you know, how you approach whatever you are doing and how you demonstrate that that's your approach. Cool. So, David, it has been an eye-opener discussion when we actually dwelled into the technology and psychology and some philosophical uh, debates about the future and how uh, the vision of the future could be. So everybody who has uh, joined us to listen to this podcast, uh, please don't forget to visit um, David's organization's website, which is freeassociation.com. And if you are a newcomer looking for opportunities, do mind the advice which is uh, which you just heard, and see if you're you know you have uh, what it takes to be um, somebody who finds a position with free association. Um, and I believe that there are many ways that we can be you know learn from this conversation and make sure that the not star and the psychology part and the prototyping and looking into the future and making sure that the the fusion of that conversation remains intact in the longer narrative of careers. So thank you, David, once again for joining us. And uh, 
yeah it was a pleasure to have you on the uh, podcast and uh, hope that we definitely get to uh, connect once again in the future look forward to it same here all right thank you and you have a very wonderful uh, rest of the day ahead bye